Well, uh, 15 years ago, uh, Marcus Buckingham, who is a best-selling author of the book First Break All the Rules, came out with a book called uh, The One Thing You Need to Know About Great Managing, Great Leadership, and Sustained Individual Success. So he had a book called The One Thing. And uh, I read the book again 15 years ago and so put a lot of what I learned in that book into practice today in my pastoral ministry. And he boils down managing people into one thing and he boils down leadership into one thing. So if you want to get your pens out, this is pretty interesting stuff. Uh, so if you're in a role in management and you want to know what the one thing is, it is this. As you look at your team, as you look at your staff, is to discover what is unique about every person or each person and capitalize on that. Discover what's unique about each person in your organization or on your team or on your staff, then capitalize on that. So if you have a staff member who's really gifted administratively, then you have an administrative role that they can be in, you do that. If you have a member of your staff who's very creative, you get them in a creative role. Let's say you're in sales and you need a new creative sales something, you get that person to serve in that role. So if you want to boil down managing people into one thing, is discovering what is unique about each person and capitalizing on that. On the flip side, leadership can be boiled down to this one thing, is find out what is universal and then capitalize on that. Find out what's universal and capitalize on that. And for the church, obviously, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and the Great Commandment, Matthew 22, is our one thing that we're all passionate about, that we're all committed to. So he says, you find out what's universal, what's important to everyone in the organization, and then you capitalize on that. So again, for us, it's the Great Commission fueled by the Great Commandment. But here's what I want to talk about today, uh, is we've already looked at Chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus talks about the law and the prophets. And he says to the disciples and to us that what I'm about to teach you is how the Pharisees have interpreted the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you the heart or the spirit behind the Old Testament because you remember what I say unto you. And what he's about to do in verse 12 is give a summary of everything we looked at, chapter 5, verse 17, 7 through 11, and really a, so, a total sum of the Old Testament into just one thing. If you could boil down how we should love our neighbor into one thing, if you could boil down the Sermon on the Mount to what we looked at so far into one thing, this is what he would uh, boil it down to. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7, 12, Matthew 7, 12. And if we put in Matthew 7, 12 into practice consistently, individually, as a church, it will radically transform our church, our families, our marriages, our singles, and our community. So what is that? He says in Matthew 7, 12, you guys there? Matthew 7, 12. He says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. I'll read that again. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12, repeated in Luke chapter 6, which we'll look at here in a second as well. Before I jump into what Matthew 7, 12 means as the one thing, what I want to talk about is our natural state, how we're naturally wired. So here's point number one. Our natural state is this. Our natural state is what I call reciprocity. Reciprocity. Uh, back in 1984, Dr. Robert Cialdini had a book called Persuasion, or I'm sorry, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And he listed six factors or six principles in which we can 
persuade people and influence people. And the first thing he talked about was this thing called reciprocity. Let me break this down into terms that hopefully we can understand. Reciprocity is this cliche. Scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, right? Or I'll scratch your back right now, hoping that one day when my back is itching, you're going to scratch mine. That's the expectation. I'll scratch your back, but I'm expecting one day when my back is itching, you're going to scratch mine. Or I'll scratch your back now, expecting that you're going to return the favor. That's reciprocity. And that is our natural state. And what we're looking at today goes against that. And he says in verse 12, in everything, and the word in everything there is the Greek word panta, from which we get the English words panacea, pan-African. It means everything in all. So in all your dealings with people, in all your choices in life, in all your interactions at work or in church or in community group, in all your interactions, he says, therefore. And whatever the word therefore is there, you have to ask what it's there for. And again, he's giving a summary, I believe, of chapter 5, verse 17, where he talks again about the law and the prophets, gives his interpretation or his proper interpretation, the spirit behind the Old Testament, And he says, let me summarize all that, all the way to verse 11, which Joel did a great job covering last week. And he says, this is the one thing. This is the summary. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Or as a New Living Translation says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then he says, to summarize it, for this is the law and the prophets. If you want to encapsulate the Old Testament and how we deal with people, our neighbors, how we love our neighbors. If you want to summarize even the gospels and the epistles and all the 53 one another's, you can summarize it with this one statement, this one maxim, this one principle, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But here's the thing. Uh, Let me give you point two. So our supernatural state, so our natural state is reciprocity, but our supernatural state is grace, is grace, is grace. And this is what they would say. Because if my back is itching, if my back were itching, I'd want somebody to scratch my back. I'm going to scratch your back. Even if you never scratch mine, I'm going to scratch your back. Knowing if we were to switch places and I was in your shoes and my back was itching, I'd want somebody to scratch my back. I'm going to scratch yours. Or to put it even in a greater sense, we're going to look at Luke 6. Because God has ultimately scratched my greatest itch. I'm going to scratch your back. Because I had a need for salvation, an itch that I could not cure, because I had a need for forgiveness and reconcile with God, this great itch, and God scratched my back, and he continues to scratch my back, I'm going to scratch yours. That's what he's talking about. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as you put yourself in their shoes, or you look at how God has dealt with you. But here's the natural thing that we often do. is Notice Jesus didn't say, think about it, He said, do. And he didn't say, don't do. He said, do. And the reason why is because even when we think don't do to others what we wouldn't want them to do to us, there's still a measure of reciprocity there. Because here's a question. Um, How many of you all like being discriminated against? How many of you all like being discriminated against? Anybody? None of us do, right? How many of you all want to be murdered by somebody? Anybody want to be murdered by anybody? We don't want to be murdered. So the logic goes, because none of us in here would want to be murdered, don't murder. Duh, right? That's easy. Because none of us in here would want to be discriminated against, duh, then don't discriminate. Anybody here want to be gossiped against? Anybody like enjoy when people gossip behind your back? None of us do, right? So he says, basically, if you don't want to be gossiped against or about, then don't gossip. Let me give you several more. He says simply like this, or he just didn't say this. 
I wouldn't want to be killed, so I won't kill. I wouldn't want someone to take advantage of me, so I won't take advantage of somebody else. I wouldn't want someone to rip me off, so I won't rip off someone else. I wouldn't want someone to traffic me, so I won't traffic someone else. I, won't, I wouldn't want someone to judge me based on the color of my skin, so I won't judge somebody based on the color of their skin. I wouldn't want someone who disagree with my political beliefs to cram their political beliefs down my throat, so I won't cram my political beliefs down someone else's throat. I wouldn't want some, uh, someone to gossip about me, so again, I won't gossip about somebody else. I wouldn't want someone to gloat if their political candidate won the election and mine lost, so I won't gloat if mine wins. I wouldn't want someone to judge me self-righteously and without mercy, so I won't judge someone else self-righteously and without mercy. But Jesus didn't say what I wouldn't do, because here's what we tend to do. Um, can we be honest? How many of y'all have ever gossiped about somebody else? Okay, for the other like six of y'all didn't raise your hands, y'all lying. Because you know, all of us have slandered somebody, talked about somebody behind their back. Even though we know we wouldn't, someone, uh, we wouldn't want someone to do that against us. We've all discriminated. We've all done those things. So what Jesus does is this, and I believe this is why he takes it to the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit-filled level, to the impossible-to-do consistent level. Because often, if not always, it's much more difficult, if not impossible, to selflessly do good than to selfishly not do bad. It's generally impossible to consistently and selflessly do good, to do good things to other people, demonstrate grace, rather than saying, you know what, I wouldn't want these bad things done to me, so I'm not going to do these bad things, even if it's rooted in selfishness. Um, Here's what that would look like. Let me, let me paint the other side that Jesus was saying. Because he says, do unto others. Put yourself in their shoes and say, if I were that person, what would I want done? And I'm going to do just that. Um, how many of y'all have people in your lives that have not forgiven? You've done something, hurt them, offended them, and you know that they have not forgiven. Anybody in here? All right. I know I've got some people like that in my life. So here's the thing. I would want someone to forgive me if I've done something to offend them, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive those that have hurt me. I don't want someone to confess their sin to me and ask for forgiveness, so I'll confess my sin and ask forgiveness from those that I've offended. Can you think of somebody right now in your life that has hurt you, that has offended you, a stepfather, a stepmother, a coworker, that you just say, man, they just, they just anger me when I think about them, what they did to me. That if they came to you on all fours, on hands and knees, crying and saying, would you forgive me? I confess my sin. That it would change your relationship with them. Anybody like that? Is it just me that has people like that? Anybody? So you know what? You're that person somebody else. So if you would want that to happen to you, then do it to somebody that you've offended. I'd want somebody to help me if I were stranded on the side of the road, so I'll help that stranded motorist. If you're driving to Thanksgiving travels this weekend and you see that stranded motorist, Put yourself in their shoes. Would you want somebody to stop and maybe not necessarily change their tire, but at least to stop and check on them? To say, I've got AAA, can I call somebody for you? I would want someone to liberate me if I were being trafficked and enslaved, so I'll help set free those being trafficked and enslaved. I'd want someone to help me feel welcome if I were visiting Bay City Fellowship for the first time, so I'll welcome that new person. I'd want somebody to show me the ropes if I were a new employee, so tomorrow morning when I go to work and there's that new employee, I'm going to show them the ropes. I'd want someone to help me to find a job if I lost my job. So you know what? There's that member of my community group who just lost their job, and I'm going to go to all my network of friends and coworkers and get their resume out. I'm going to help them find a job. 
I would want to be understood if I was in a meeting or with somebody and felt like people weren't understanding me, my perspective or where I was coming from. I'd want to be understood. So you know what? When I'm meeting with people or in a meeting, I'm going to seek to understand. I'm going to do for them what I want done to me. I'd want some loving parents to adopt me if I were an orphan or a foster child. So I'll adopt this child. I'd want someone to change the life-changing gospel with me if I was a slave to sin and far from God. So you want them to do? To my coworkers and friends who are far from God and trapped in sin, I'm going to share the life-changing gospel with them. You know what? If I were a young man or young woman or a new believer, I'd want somebody to disciple me to help me to grow. So that, that young believer I just met at Bayou City Fellowship, I'm going to disciple them. Tomorrow morning when you're driving in traffic and stop and go rush hour traffic, if I'm trying to merge onto the highway, I want somebody to let me in on the highway. So you know what? Tomorrow morning when I'm on the highway, I'm going to let that person merge on the highway. I know what you're saying. You've gone too far, preacher. Now you're meddling, right? But you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes to say, you know what? What would I want done to me if I were stuck in rush hour traffic? How would I want people to treat me? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying again, empowered by the Spirit, consistently and selflessly to die to yourself and say, you know what? What I would want people to do for me I'm going to do for somebody else expecting nothing in return. Look at Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke 6. Luke 6, if you have your Bibles. Again, our supernatural state is grace. Payback or reciprocity is our natural state, but our supernatural state is grace. Luke 6, 27 through 36 is what I'm going to read. Luke 6, 27 through 36. This is a sermon on the plain, not the airplane, but the plain as in a flat piece of land. Some scholars believe this is the same as the Sermon on the Mount because in Luke 6 it says Jesus came down from the mountain and found a plain and began to preach and teach. So some people believe this is the same Sermon on the Mount we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. Others say this is a separate instance because some of the contextual things are different. Let me read this uh, in verse 27, Luke 6, 27 through 36. And look at the context that Jesus puts, doing unto, other, doing unto others as you have them do unto you. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who are abusive to you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also, and whoever takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic from him either. Again, we looked at this already in Matthew 5 and 6. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Here's verse 31. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Again, rhetorical question, none. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and will receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Not think good or believe good, but do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So in Luke chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Plain, the same verses there in verse 31. Do unto others, you am do unto you. But notice the context now with Jesus. He's using our enemies. He's using those who would take advantage of us. He's using those who would talk down to us. He's using the example of how we treat people who may even abuse us. And he says to do good to them. And then he says this. This is a caveat. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So put yourself in their shoes. 
But he says, add another level to that. We call that the golden rule. And I'll explain why in a second. But he says, really in this context is this. In chapter 6 of Luke, he says, do unto others as God has done to you. Do unto others as God has done to you. If God has been merciful to you, then give mercy. If God has been gracious to you, then give grace. Because like I mentioned before, we had an itch that no matter how hard we tried, we could not scratch and cure. And that itch was known as being a slave to sin, to be separated from God. And God, this is what he did. He saved us by grace. He scratched that itch. And what he says now is, when we were still enemies of God, when we were still far from God, when we hated God, God took the initiative and he gave his only begotten son. So he's using now, not just put yourself in the other person's shoes. He's saying now, put yourself in God's shoes. God is the one that blessed you and did good to you. And that should be our standard. So again, point number two, our supernatural state is this, is grace, is grace. Um... Many years ago, I had this, and we've all had this experience before. Have you ever eaten at a restaurant, maybe on lunch break at work, and you had a piece of spinach or something in your tooth? Not just a small piece of spinach, but like a big, bright green piece of spinach. And then you go to work the rest of the day, you're back at one o'clock, and you go to five or six or seven or eight o'clock. Finally, you get home, and then you look in the mirror after you get home from work. And what do you see in the mirror? A big, glaring piece of spinach in your mouth. Have you ever had that before? And you think, I've been to all these meetings, I've had all these encounters with other coworkers and staff and clients and customers, and nobody has pointed out this embarrassing big green piece of spinach stuck between my teeth. I've had that before. I've gone through an entire day having a piece of spinach, and not a single person said that. So you know what? I've made my mission. Even though it's been like uncomfortable times, I was walking with a staff member two weeks ago. We were walking here to the other side of the campus, and he had something in his beard. And I said, look, I'm not your wife, and so this is not, I'm going to overset my bounds, so I'm not going to pick out that thing from your beard. But I said, you got a little piece of dust or something in your beard. And he said, oh, thank you. You know why I always do that? Because I would want somebody to do that for me. And so now I'm going to do it for somebody else. Even if it's a little embarrassing or whatever, I will pull, I'll say to somebody, you've got something in your beard or on your face or in your teeth, because we've all been there before. So do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Take it to the next level. Do unto others as God has done to you. Here's just an encouraging book, if you have time to read, is a book by Bob Goff called Love Does, a bestseller. Uh, not the most theological treatise on, and on, you know, on theology or anything like that, but if you want practical examples of what that can look like, I think that's a great book to read. It's very inspiring as well. Not inspiring in the sense of Holy Ghost inspired, but inspiring in the sense of it can give you ideas on how you can do unto others as they have done to you. So here's a big idea for today. Big idea for today. Very simple. It's in this one verse. We're supposed to love God, love neighbor, very simple, big idea. Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. That's a New Living Translation of Matthew 7, 12. And you're saying, well, that's easy. And like I mentioned before, to do it selflessly and consistently is impossible. It only happens empowered by the Holy Spirit. Where you say, God, I'm yielded to you. God, I'm surrendered to you. God, I'm empty vessel and I need you to do that. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a history lesson. Many scholars believe that the, uh, the Roman emperor, Alexander Severus, was so moved upon hearing about this 
maxim that Jesus taught. He wasn't even a Christian. That he says, my nation, my kingdom would be radically different if we all put that into practice. If we truly did unto others as we'd have them do unto us. If we really did that, it would radically change our empire. So he had that emblazoned in gold, the golden rules, why they call it, on his wall, in his room, because in his throne room to say, to remind him and others who came that if we put that into practice, it would change our lives, it would change our world, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. But here's the question. I'm not, this is not the application. I'm not saying type it and put it up in a framed picture on your wall or put it up in your office or put it up in home or put it above your kitchen or your doorway. The question is this, that Jesus is asking, and he's asking the Pharisees, and he's asking disciples and asking us, is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is that written across your heart? Is that written across your eyes? So that when you see life, and here's what I tend to say, love sees opportunities to do, to serve, with no strings attached. When you have that written across your heart, when you have that written across your eyes, now you see opportunities to do unto others as you have them done to you. So like I mentioned, when you are in rush hour traffic tomorrow, trying to merge into a lane and, and, and you need to let somebody in, now you don't see that person as an interruption. You think to yourself, if I were in their shoes and I'm late to work or I'm trying to get to work, what would I want someone to do for me? And you say, Lord, help me just let them in. And you let them in. Um, here's a maxim I love to quote too. You can choose your friends, but you don't get to choose your family. You can choose your friends, but you don't get to choose your family. And I know Thanksgiving's coming up. And for some of us, it's like, yes, Thanksgiving's coming up. For others of us, it's like, oh, Thanksgiving's coming up. Because uh, I don't know about you, but does anyone in here have difficult family members? And I know for some of y'all, you'll go to church with family members, so don't raise your hand, all right? <laughs> Do y'all have difficult family members that you're like, Lord, oh, right? Here's what's going to happen. You put yourself in their shoes. You put yourself in that aunt that's always negative, that's always complaining. You put yourself in their shoes and say, if I were Aunt Betty, how would I want people to treat me? And so then you say, Lord, empowered by your spirit, I'm going to sit and patiently listen to her. I'm going to seek to understand her. I'm going to fix a plate for her and bring it to her. I'm going to ask her, is there anything I can get you for dessert? Because God is going to put you to test in the most practical ways. And here's the thing. If you're thinking, saying, man, I don't have that one really difficult family member in my family. You know why you don't? Because you're it. <laughs> when you have in community group this week or next week, and you've got that member who comes to your community group, and they're upset, they're distraught, there's another police shooting, they've just lost their job, or they're anxious and worried and depressed about COVID-19, about being isolated. You may be on cloud nine, you say, man, I can't even relate. But you say to yourself, you know what, if I were in their shoes, and I came to community group, and I was discouraged, depressed, anxious and worried, lamenting and grieving and sad, how would I want people to treat me? What would I want people to do for me? What has God done for me? So again, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to do that. And I'm going to say this, that our church, Bayou City Fellowship, our families, our singles, our marriages represented here would be radically different if selflessly empowered by the Spirit, if we genuinely put into that practice of doing to others as you would have them do unto you, expecting nothing in return, 
No strings attached saying, you know what? Because God has been good to me, I'm going to do good to you. Because this is what I want somebody else to do for me, I'm going to do it for you. Our church, our community, our world even would be radically changed if, again, selflessly, empowered by the Holy Spirit, grace grips our hearts and we say, I'm going to do for you what I want somebody to do for me. Let's pray. Uh, God, a very simple and brief message uh, to preach. Just one verse. God, this is the summation, the total of the Old Testament regarding loving our neighbor, treating our neighbor. It's a summary of the 53 one another's of the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles. God, if we would selflessly, rather than having the magnet of selfishness and always thinking about ourselves, God, if we placed ourselves in somebody else's shoes and said, if I were in their shoes, what would I want somebody to do for me? If I just lost my job, what would I want somebody to do for me? If I experienced trauma and grief, what would I want somebody to do for me? Or better yet, Lord, because you have done this for me, because you've been kind, you've been good, you've been gracious and merciful to me, when I was still your enemy, when I was far from you, when I didn't want anything to do with you. God, help me to do for others what you have done for me. God, I do pray for Bayou City Fellowship that this church would be a church filled with grace, that we would respond to your uh, grace towards us by doing good to others as we would desire and long to have done to us. God, as we go to work tomorrow, as we're traveling to work tomorrow, God, you're going to give us opportunities to do good as we want good done to us. God, we may run into that new employee who's just been hired, who's clueless, who seems to make all the wrong choices and ask the wrong questions. God, we've all been there before. So help us to do good to them, to show them the ropes, to take them out to lunch, to welcome them. God, we've all been to a new church before, not knowing anybody not knowing what uh, door is the entrance to the auditorium or the worship center, not knowing where to drop off our kids. God, we've all been there. Help us do to them uh, what we want done to us, uh, what we would want done to us. And God, we're going to encounter difficult family members this week, God, as we travel for Thanksgiving. And perhaps as we travel, we see that stranded motorist. We encounter that difficult family member. God, help us do to them what we would done, want done to us, God. Again, selflessly, supernaturally, not seeking anything in return. And God, help us remember what you've done for us. And help us do again, supernaturally, empowered by your spirit, for others, what you have done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name our King and our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen.